This is from John 3, verses 1 to 21 from the ESV. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you did not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Familiar verses. Sometimes the familiar verses are the hardest, because we only think about them one-dimensionally, the way that we were taught in Awana or in Sunday school or the way we've thought about them for 30 years. But today we're looking at some familiar verses. And uh, I'm going to approach them probably in a different way, Um, in a way that that I think about a lot because of my context in which I'm I'm working. I'm excited that you guys are going through a chronology of Jesus' life. I wish I could be a part of it uh, long term. Actually, we were a part of your last chronology that you did. You remember the from something to amen. What was it? Come on, Sean. We were with you. From Alpha, from Alpha to Amen. That sounds familiar. Uh, it was a chronology of the whole Bible, the whole scriptures. You guys did that in 2011? 12. 11. 12. 12. Uh, 
And we took all of those sermons back with us to Ethiopia, and we did it in 2013. So we read through the Bible, as you guys did. Every Sunday night after the kids were in bed, we would relax and listen to Sean, or listen to whoever it may be. Which Sean has a great voice for relaxing too, does he not? Uh, just puts you to sleep, doesn't he? Oh, uh, we loved it. We loved it. Uh, but it helped us feel like we were with you as well, and that, that made us uh, really encouraged. When we're out in the bush, when we're out among the gumus, there's, um, there's times when we feel forgotten, but it's, it's things like that. It's uh, emails that we get from people like you or responses to our blog entries or whatever it may be. It reminds us that, you know what, we're, we're definitely not alone. And any time we feel that, it's a lie from Satan. And we try not to listen to it. But I'm excited to be able to be a part of uh, the chronology of Jesus' life and to be given such a, such a really fun, uh, really important passage, the story of Nicodemus and how Jesus responded to, to this Pharisee. Uh, could we bring in with prayer? I need prayer. Um, this is the first time I'm using an iPad to, to teach or preach, and so if anything goes wrong, I'm blaming technology. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't gotten that far in our technological advancement quite yet, so we'll see if I can do it. Let's pray together. Lord, you are good to us. You love us, uh, and you've shown us that love over and over again. Especially as we, we see Scripture, we see Jesus t- interacting with this man, Nicodemus. He had a message that he wanted Nicodemus to hear. But it's a message that we all need to hear. And some of Nicodemus' uh, faults, some of the ways in which he approached the questions and the comments that Jesus made are the ways that we approach them as well. And we, we need to be uh, corrected in that. Help us to hear your message, not just with our heads, but with our hearts. That we would be transformed by your word, that we would be transformed by your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, iPad, let's get going. There's three different kinds of people that I, that I met when we were having our newest baby, baby Lumi. Uh, if you haven't gotten to meet Lumi yet, she's back in the joyful noise room and um, making some noise of her own, possibly, with my other two noisemakers. Uh, when we were in the hospital for baby Lumi's uh, arrival, I met three different types of employees or three different types of doctors and nurses. The first one is those who do their job. Those who do their job. There was one, the particular OB uh, doctor, who uh, reminds me of a guy. Do you guys watch The Office back in the day? We watched some of that. There's some people over in Ethiopia that have some of the seasons, so we would borrow them and just get our humor uh, night of the week. And uh, there's a guy in that off- on the office named Kevin. You know the Kevin guy? He's real monotone, just kind of there, kind of a bad attitude most of the time. Well, this guy didn't have a bad attitude necessarily, uh, but he reminded me a lot of Kevin. He would come in and say, uh, so uh, after, the, after delivery, good morning, uh, Andrea. Uh, how are you doing today? That's good. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your pain this morning? Okay. Reports from the nurses last night who were bothering you all night. Um, they come back looking pretty good, so I am pleased with that. Mm-hmm. Anything that I can do for you at this time? Yes, yes, I'll have my nursing staff get on that quickly. Except we typically don't allow uh, husbands to have seconds and thirds of ice cream, so we're sorry about that. It's just no humor, no, no frills in his, uh, his style, his bedside manner, but he did his job, and he did it to a fair degree of wellness, or, or he did it well. That's the first type of person, people who are there, and they're doing their job for us, serving us. But the second type of person that I met there 
is the people who love their job. <laughs> the people who love their job. And when people who love their jobs, they often do it even better than uh, those who are just doing their jobs. It's that labor and delivery nurse who just can't get enough of little babies. You know how that works? There's some of you in this uh, room that, that envy those, those uh, positions. They're like, oh, you're having a baby today? Oh, I bet you're so excited. You don't know the gender yet? Oh, I just love it. So many people don't do that anymore. They all want to know at the three-week mark if it was possible so they can start painting the bedrooms. I miss the anticipation. Oh, and based on that horribly awkward lump that protrudes from your midsection, I think it's a boy. Or, or maybe it's a girl, and they kind of go back and forth. Oh, this is so fun. They, they make you want to throw up at 6 in the morning when you're wanting to be in bed instead of uh, going through contractions and everything else. Um, that's the people who love their job, but we had uh, others who, who loved their job as well. It, it was quite the, the circus during the actual pushing part of labor. I don't want to paint a total mental picture of how that came about because uh, those of you who have been there, you don't want to relive it in some senses. But there was, Andrea was oblivious to all of this. I had to fill her into the comedy act that was going on uh, between the doctors and the nurses. The, let's see, so, so the first thing we saw of our baby Lumi was, or that I saw, was the hair. The hair comes out first, or the head came out first as it's supposed to. And uh, they were taking bets, obviously, on whether it would be a uh, boy or a girl. And so the doctor was shaping the hair. I think he missed his calling in life. He really should have been a hairstylist. So when, when the vote was moving towards boy, he would make it into a mohawk. And this is all during labor. Andrea, is, she's a saint. She's half, uh, half conscious between contractions and very much conscious during contractions, but not at all conscious to what these doctors and nurses were, were talking about. So they would go from the, the mohawk to the curly cue kind of thing as the hair was uh, visible to us. And then as the conversation went on, the, the pushing part of it didn't quite go very quickly, and it was half a centimeter here, half a centimeter here, just getting uh, that baby out more and more. Um, then the doctor brought up a new topic. He said, don't you wish that these babies were born looking like Teletubbies? You know, you know what Teletubbies look like? They have these big antenna things on their heads. He's like, if there was a Teletubby, I could just grab a hold of that thing and yank it out. It comes with its own handle. And all he had was the hair to pull on, which I kept uh, cautioning him. I, I want that hair to stay on there. It's, it's nice. But the Teletubby uh, jokes just went on for the rest of the time. Thankfully, as I said, Andrew was oblivious to it, um, the banter. And the, of those that, that really love their job, they, they love the people they were with and... Uh, <laughs> Love what they were doing. But there, there's people who do their job. There's people who love their job. But there was a third type of person that we met. This third type of person that we found was the person who loved us. The way that they listened to us, the way that they helped us, the way they snuck extra helpings of ice cream in for Dad. All, everything that they did, they showed that they cared about us as people. Their hearts with ours. I don't, I don't need to tell you which... Which of these three types of people ministered to us the most during this exciting time, but also a difficult time in our lives? Um, in the birth of our second child, Grace, we did it at the same hospital over there in Michigan. The top nurse was scheduled to be our nurse for the delivery portion of it. Her name was uh, Mother Mary, is what she was called all over the hospital, because she had been there 30-some years and delivered millions, well, thousands of babies. Uh, Mother Mary, she was the best of the best, we were told. Shortly after we got set up, she, uh, she went on break. And so another, 
<laughs> another nurse came in and she was helping us with our care and monitoring our monitors and everything like that. Her name was Janine. Janine was a bubbly, spunky lady who was a diehard Christian as well. She, she wanted to pray with us. She was really excited about um, us being there. When, we, when Mary came off break, there was apparently a little bit of a war that happened over at the nurse's station. Janine didn't want to let us go. Mary had interacted with us enough to say she didn't want to let us go either. They both come in and say, you know what? We can't solve this fight, so we're going to both serve you today. And we were blessed by two really, really good nurses. Why? Because they cared about us as people. And it made the experience a whole lot more, more valuable, more special to us. We were blessed by different degrees, from the, the Kevin Malones, who just did their job, by those who, who enjoyed their job, they loved their job, but we were blessed most by those who loved us in all of it. During this furlough, I've, I feel like God's been asking me a question, a really difficult question for me to, to uh, wrestle with, um, but a simple question in, the, in its own right. I feel like God's been asking me over and over again this question. Travis, I know that you, you do your job, and you do it well. It's, it's where your giftings are. I know that you love your job. You love doing your job over there in Ethiopia. But my question for you, Travis, is do you love me? Do you love me? And I think it's the same question that Jesus asked repeatedly to the Pharisees. Nicodemus in our story today is a Pharisee. We see in the very first verse that, so there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler or a member of the ruling Jewish council. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees were known for doing what? They, they loved the law. They loved following the law. They loved the way that people responded to them when they followed the law to give them praise and, and glory and honor. But did they really love God? I think that's what Jesus drove his point to over and over again, that um, God doesn't care about our outward works, just doing the job of being a Christian. He cares about What's on the inside? Whether those actions are motivated from a heart that, that loves God or whether they're motivated by a heart that loves praise or whether they're, they're motivated by a heart that just loves the good feeling of helping somebody else. I don't think God is, is very pleased with the, the, the mindset of those who do their job just to do their job as the Pharisees did. And Nicodemus fell into that um, trap. As, as you see, Nicodemus' first question is... Uh, well, not even a question. He says, we know that you're from God. Why? Because you do things. You do miracles, miraculous signs that you couldn't do if God were not with you. So he's, he's processed this intellectually. He's processed it and said, you know, Jesus, you're different. And we accept that you've been sent from God. Um, but he hasn't gotten to the point we see where he's uh, yet believed in God. Now, you think, well, Travis, you're a missionary. Missionaries are super spiritual. They're like rock stars in the, in the Christian world. They go over and they do really cool things. And anybody who's been on a mission trip, you come back excited and pumped up about what God's doing spiritually around the world. So how can a missionary, why would God even consider asking a missionary, do you love me? It's, isn't it obvious? I would say uh, no. <laughs> it's not obvious and it's not a given. Let me show you what happens. The most famous passage or verse in this passage is obviously John 3.16. John 3.16 starts out with six very important words. Uh, I'm going to show you, or you're going to help me, um, walk through these passages as I see them as a translator, uh, these, these different words. 
Uh, we could work through the whole passage, but then we wouldn't um, be able to eat lunch because it would take quite some time. So I want to look at just these first six words. For God so loved the world. When I get a draft, first of all, my, my translators, Thomas Workwin and Johnny over in Ethiopia, they draft something from the Amharic, and they put it into the Gumu's language for the first time. And then I take a look at that draft. I look at the Greek, I look at the English, and I ask a lot of questions. I need to make sure that their Gumu's translation is accurately reflecting the, the original languages and the ideas that are in that, that text. And so I ask a lot of questions. When I approach these six words, I need to, to uh, see whether or not uh, all of these six words and their meanings are contained in there. So I have a question for you. Where, which one of these six words do you think is the easiest to translate into the Gumu's language? As you're thinking about that, we don't translate word for word, but each one of these words in English have meaning that then need to be found in the Gumus. So which of the meanings of these six words, for God so loved the and world, is the easiest to translate into the Gumus language? World? I hear world. The? The seems pretty easy, but it's actually not. World is actually the one that I had for easiest. The is potentially up there, though. It's kind of a toss-up between the two. World is, is, uh, is easy, but it's not, because the Gumu's word for world is dirt. They, they talk about the world meeting the ground. So for God so loved the dirt that he gave his only son. That's not quite what we're shooting for, is it? He didn't love the dirt. But we could, we could expand that. We can say the... Actually, the backside of the dirt, it doesn't make sense literally, but they would say the backside of the dirt to refer to the ends of the earth, uh, which often refers to all of creation. But then I have another question. Did God, for God so love the creation that he sent his only son, or what? What do we mean when we say for God so loved the world? What did God love? The people. And there might be some debate. Maybe he wanted to redeem all of creation. All of creation is groaning for the redemption through Christ, is what Romans says. So maybe there is an element that the birds and the dogs and the, the plants are, are longing for redemption. But oftentimes when people look at this verse, uh, they think about the people, because it says all who believe in him would receive the, the eternal life. It's a focus on people. So even as we translate into gumus, we can't say dirt. We can't even say the backside of the dirt or the land. I think we would probably have to say the people of the backside of the land. <laughs> so the people of the world is what we would translate in that. It's not difficult, but it's a process. There's some challenges in that, in that word. Second most difficult word. The. The is difficult. Uh, is, is not easy. There is actually no the in, in Gumus. There's no definite article. So there's no way that we can distinguish between for God so loved the world and for God so loved a world whether that be Saturn, whether that be Jupiter. We can't make a definite object or a definite uh, uh, article there. So we want to make sure that it's referring to not any old world, it's referring to this world. They do have a word for this. And so it's not a difficult translation problem, but it's one that we have to be aware of. For God so loved this world, which really we mean for God so loved the people of this world. Tracking with me? Good. So... So you can still see how it's working, but those are the two easiest. <laughs> what do you think is the next easiest word to translate in this passage? We got for God so loved. For 
baby for it. So, no. <laughs> Love, no. Maybe God. Let's look at four first. Four is difficult because it's a conjunction. Gumus have only three conjunctions in their language, and they don't use them very often at all. Oftentimes, the, the way that sentences and paragraphs relate to each other is just implied. <clears throat> it's implied by the way that the previous sentence is uh, structured, and then the way the second sentence begins by word order and things like that. Um, for, what does it mean, though? What, is, what are we looking at in this word for for? The Greek word is gar, which is quite a, a very wide uh, conjunction. We uh, often see it used for reason, for God, because God loved the world. But it's not only that. It can also be an exclamation and a comment. The previous verse, John 3:15, talked about as Moses raised up uh, a snake on a stick in the wilderness, uh, so also the Son of Man will be raised up, uh, and uh, so that everyone who believes on him will be saved. For God so loved the world. Is it giving the reason for that Jesus being lifted up? Or is it giving the reason for why he sent Jesus? sent Jesus into the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Why did he send his son? Because he loved the world. So what is this, what is this uh, conjunction connecting to? That's always a huge question in Gumus, and never easy. Um, do we just leave it out? Do we not translate the four? Or do we throw in one of these, these conjunctions? The word that they would use is kamanja. Kamanja means because of, or for fire. Fire is the, the word manja. Ka means for. So for fire... What does that mean? It means fault. It means cause. The Gumas culture, every time about this year, in March, or about this time of year, March, they burn their fields to get it ready for next year's planting. Um, sometimes these burning of fields, the fire gets out of control, and it, it goes through the forest that's all crispy brown right now because it hasn't rained since October. Uh, it just goes wild, and it can burn down whole villages. It can burn down other people's fields and their grain silos that they're counting on until next October. Um, they uh, they devastate the cult the Gumas culture, and so when that kind of thing happened, the big question is, whose fire is that? Who is responsible to pay me for for all the destruction that I experienced? And this idea of whose fire is that translates into a grammatical thing as well. So it it shows cause that who caused this devastation upon me, but it also shows fault. It's a negative thing. So for us to say. At the fault of God loving the world, he sent his son. Is there really fault in that word? And if we, if we add this word of fault, are we somehow making God's love a negative thing? So there's, there's lots of questions that, that I wrestle with that the guys have to wrestle with because I force them to by, my, by the questions that I ask. So we got four. It's, it's, a, it's not terribly difficult, but it's not at all terribly easy. God. God is another one. Anytime you approach God... It, the nice thing is that you only have to decide on it once because then you consistently use it throughout the rest of Scripture. Um, but anytime you choose a word for God, you need to find out what their background concept of God is and whether it's possible to use that. The whole question of can a Muslim uh, converted uh, church use the word Allah for God? Is that referring to the same God or is that a different God? Um, it's a huge debate. The Gumu's word for God is Misa in our area. In the southern area, they use a different word, riba, but we use misa. Misa can actually be referred, can be used to refer to any spirit. Multiple spirits can be referred to as misa, and actually, the witch doctor can be referred to as misa. So, do we want the God of the Bible to be referred to as misa, a word that's also used for all of this pagan background stuff, or do we borrow another word? Do we use Yahweh from from Hebrew? 
Even though the Hebrews wouldn't pronounce that name, do we pronounce it the best we can? Or do we use a Greek term, theos, for God? Or do we use the Amharic term, Xavier? The problem with bringing in a term from another language is that it comes in with no meaning. It's an empty word. <clears throat> to bring in an empty word means it's an empty concept that can then be filled with all the right ideas. That's a good thing. But when doing it for the name of God, it's basically saying, the Gumus have been following Misa, or they've been fearing Misa for years and years and years. We're going to tell you about a brand new God. And you have no idea, you've had no connection with him until now. In fact, he's a foreign God. He's a God that has no relation to you until now. That's not what we want to communicate. Because the God of the Bible does have, has had relation with the Gumus people. Maybe they haven't recognized it clearly, but they know, or we know that God has created the Gumus people. He loves the Gumus people. He sent his son Jesus to die for the Gumus people. So we want, if at all possible, the God of the Gumus to be evident by using their own language. So if we use the word Misa all throughout Scripture, what we're basically doing is taking that word uh, and prayerfully and over time and through teaching, we're redefining that word and saying, you've understood Misa to be this. Misa wants you to understand him in this way. And that's often the way that we, we would approach the translation of the word God, but it's not an easy decision initially. So I wouldn't put it up there at the easiest level, especially at the first time we translate it. Two words left, so and loved. Which one do you think is easier? So, maybe. Let's go with so. So, so is actually a problem, not because of gumus, it's a problem because of the Greek word. The Greek word actually means thus. It's hutos. Uh, it means thus. So thus God loved the world and God so loved the world I have two quite different translations. Thus is more of a manner. So in what way did God love the world? He loved, them, he loved the world by sending his son. It's the way in which God loved the world. Uh, so communicates more the, the intensity or the extent of God's love. How much did God love the world? He loved the world so much to the extent that he sent his son. We read the commentaries and they're divided, of course, it's... <laughs> Not uncommon to have some go this direction, some go this direction, manner, extent. But there's also quite a few of the best commentaries say, we think that John or Jesus chose this word because he wanted both of them, both the extent and the, um, the manner in which he, he loved the world. And that's supported by the next phrase, that he loved his son. The, the, that there uh, argues for, for one, whereas the thus argues for the other. So... It's very, very possible that he meant both of them. The Guma's language, we have to choose one or the other, um, whether we want to say God loved the world in this way or whether we want to say God loved the world so much that he sent. Uh, we'll have to choose one or the other. We can put the other into a footnote reading or something like that. Um, but I don't know how the team will, will proceed on that. Probably we will go closer to the, the Amharic translation, whatever they have done, so as to make it consistent with that. But that's a, it's a difficult translation problem for any language, not just the Gumus. The last word is, is loved. And it's not uncommon for languages of the world to not have a word for love. We don't. There's no concept of, of selflessly loving somebody in the Gumus language. They just don't have any uh, examples of that, and so they don't need a word for it. The word that I would expect them to use in their draft to me would be dafesh. Dafesh means to like, or to accept, or to welcome. So for God so welcomed the world, God so accepted the world, God so liked the world, it's a really, it's a really weak word to me. Whereas the Greek word is agape. 
That's a strong, strong love. How can we, can we, can we come up with a better word for, for agape rather than just to like? For God so liked the world. doesn't do it for me. The word that we've used for agape in other passages is dangahach. Dangahach literally means to be reconciled. So I love my wife means there's nothing between us. We are completely reconciled. And it's a, it's a beautiful uh, picture of, of love in a sense. But it doesn't work in this verse. Why? For God was so reconciled to the world that he sent his son. Does that work? No. Because he wasn't reconciled to the world, and that's why he sent his son. It's the exact opposite. Love is an emotion. It's a, it's a, it's a powerful thing that led him to do something that's the exact opposite of reconciliation in order to create that reconciliation. So I'm not sure how we're going to translate this. We haven't gotten to John yet. I put it later in the project because of things like this. Theologically difficult book. But we, we looked at these six words of John 3.16. And we've, we've wrestled with the ideas grammatically and uh, vocabulary and things like that. But what happened? What happened in all that? This is typical of the kind of conversations we have in our, in our translation office. We engage the text at a deep level. We try to crack the code. We try to figure out what is this verse related to here and here and the conjunctions and all of that kind of thing. And it's a fun process. It's a fun process for me, at least, because that's what, how God has wired my mind to think and given me the training to be able to do it. It's a process that's similar to uh, crossword puzzles, in my mind, similar to uh, Sudoku puzzles, for those of you who are addicted to those. It is addicting to do this translation work. For my, uh, my in-laws know that I like these kind of puzzles. So for, for Christmas this year, they got me a whole bunch of these kind of things. Take this rope off of here without breaking it. Well, any of us can break it. But to get it off without breaking it is a little bit more difficult. Um, so I, I opened these up at Christmas. There's several of them. And then I was just there for hours, just playing with little ropes and rings, and just like my kids playing with their toys as well. I was playing with my toys. But I love this kind of thing. I love just brain-teasing kind of thing. And I feel like I'm using this. It's the same kind of enjoyment that I have doing this that I have doing this this uh, type of translation, but what's the problem with that? What's the difference between me teasing out the grammatical intricacies and the vocabulary difficulties of the Gumu's language and the, the biblical text and me playing with this for hour upon hour? What's the difference? Answers. What? Salvation. I don't get saved by solving this. At least I hope not. It takes time. And I forget three days later. Uh, salvation. Any other ideas as well? What's that? Relationship. Yeah. Motive. Yeah. Good. We're, we're all, uh, all these things combined together. <clears throat> show me something, or the, the thing that I, that I thought about. Solving puzzles is one thing, and, and you get a certain level of intellectual stimulization, 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 does that work? Um, but we're not just solving puzzles, we're not just putting together a puzzle to see a picture, we're, we're dealing with the Word of God here. We're dealing with something that's much more important than for me to put on Facebook. I solved this puzzle. <laughs> now, it's much bigger than that. We can plow through for God so loved the world and deal with it 
incredibly intellectually without ever letting it connect to our hearts. How much did God love us? He sent his only son. God loved us in what way? In the tangible way that he sent his son, or he gave his son. What does that mean, he gave his son? We can look at it, we can see that uh, he sent him into the world to be born into the world, but it's more than that. It's the parallel to the 315 in which the, the snake is lifted on the tree, so the Son of Man must be lifted up as well. So God didn't just give his son to be born into the world to live as a king. He gave him to this world to be nailed to a tree. Why? And don't miss this. This really, really shows God's, the extent of God's love so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. These are really, really important salvation concepts that we're just flying through at the grammatical level and the vocabulary level and not letting it impact who we are. The extent of his love demonstrated in giving his son, why? To change our destiny from perishing to one of uh, eternal life with him. And if that isn't enough, he nails the point even clearer. In verse 17, he says, He didn't send the, world, send the Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. The point of all of this text is to communicate salvation. What a tragedy it would be for us to translate our way through a single phrase of this passage or any passage of Scripture without allowing our hearts, or as the Gumus would say, our stomachs, to be fed by its nourishment. Instead of engaging our head in the text, we need to allow our stomachs to engage with our heads together in the text and with God. I kind of look at it like this. Our eyes will look at the text. Our minds process the idea. Our hearts are in constant connection with our minds in order to process that on an emotional level. And then out of our hearts flow praise and worship to God. When I, through the way that I lead our translation team, cut off the heart from the process by only leading through intellectual after intellectual questions, I'm not allowing myself or my translators to engage it with their hearts and therefore give the praise and glory to God as a result. The purpose of my job as a translator is not to put words onto a page that are correct according to the Greek. The purpose is to lead these Gumu's future leaders to be able to engage text at a heart level and lead others to worship God as a result. When I, the manner in which I run the team, do that, I think I am like Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He connected, connected God through knowledge and, of the law and strict obedience to his outward actions of piety. But over and over again, Jesus was not, shows that that's not what God wants of us or Nicodemus. He wants our hearts. He wants that inner birth of the Spirit spoken of in this passage. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit, and the wind blows wherever it may. You can hear it sound, but you, but you don't know where it's going, where it's coming. So it is with those who are born in the Spirit. It's an internal thing. It's a, it's a heart issue that's going on in the, in the spiritual rebirth, not a mind um, thing at all. Inner life in Jesus is what's referred to in the being born again. In one of our commissioning services, one pastor, uh, this is back in 2009, one of the pastors prayed for us, and his prayer has stuck with us through all of these years. He said, Lord, may the scripture that Travis and Andrea translate first be translated into their hearts, printed on their lives before it ever gets printed onto paper. Some days we're doing that, and we're allowing others um, to see that. But I ask that you would pray for us. Pray for us that we would do that more and more. We, meaning the Gumus translators and I, have an inexpressible privilege to be studying Scripture at a depth and see it come come alive in a new language. That in itself is exciting, as is this. But pray with us that we wouldn't let a single day 
go by in which we don't leave the office changed by that day's text. For me, it's a matter of, of time efficiency. Well, we've got to keep moving. We've got to get X number of verses done today rather than taking the time to actually let ourselves process the text of that day. But don't only pray for us. Pray for your pastors as well. Sean, Jason. Like us, they're part of this professional Christian thing that, that uh, we're about. We deal with the word day in and day out as a part of our jobs. It's a very easy trap, a danger that we fall into together, just as the Pharisees did over time. Howard Hendricks, one of my professors at Dallas Seminary, uh, exhorted our class one day. He said, never, never, never teach a lesson that you yourself have not been changed by. He said, don't even attempt it. But when, the, when Sunday comes every seven days, Sean has to have a message, whether he's been changed by it or not. Pray for him. Pray for him that as he d- digs into the text, same with Jason as he's dealing with the youth, pray with them as they dig into the text that they would first be changed before they even attempt to change, uh, be a part of changing others. But not only pray for, praying for them, what about yourselves? You are privileged to be born into a community that has direct access to God's word in your own language. I am too. We read through John 3.16-like passages that we're familiar with. They they wash over us uh, just as they have for years. When you read and study, are you able to bridge that gap between your head and your heart? Or are you like us in the translation office? You're in too much of a hurry to allow that time for reflection, the time to let it sink in. It's our prayer that you are able to engage the Word of God with your mind, truly, but also let that, that mental processing ignite your heart with a passion and desire so that you will involuntarily respond with that faith, that worship of God. Whether that be through actions, whether that be through your, through your lips, whether that be just in communing with Him. If I were to pray the prayer that that, that one pastor prayed for us, for you at Southern Lakes uh, EV Free Church, I might pray it like this. Lord, may every word of truth spoken, heard, and read by this community of believers find its home in a fully engaged hearts or stomachs from which flows whatever worship, teaching, and service they seek to do for you. That's my prayer for myself, for your pastors, and for you. Let us not be like Nicodemus, who approached God with his mind, with his hands, busy at work, but with his heart far from him. Pray with me. Lord, you are a loving God who loved us so much that you sent your son to die. So that all that we have to do is to believe on him and that we can then receive eternal life, that we can be with you for all of eternity. We praise you for this gospel message that we have the ability to accept that you allow, that you offer to us. But not only that, we have the ability to offer to others, the Gumus people, the people of Ethiopia, the people of Honduras, the people of Elkhorn, and Delavan, Lake Geneva. May we first be transformed by this message that we would then be used by you to transform others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.